On this episode of Stories Behind the Grind, listen to my conversation with Yaz, founder of the world's biggest garage sale, who have diverted over 3.3 million kilograms of goods from landfill. We discuss why leading with authenticity builds stronger connections, the power of transparency in business, and how you can get involved with the circular economy. My name is Aidan Vokolo, and here you will find business strategies, tips, and tactics that you can incorporate not only in your own venture, but your life to help you simplify and strategically grow scaling up the impact you're having in this world. Listen as I talk to creators, innovators, and game changers on what it takes to build an impactful business, uncovering their insights, strategies, and tips to help you increase profitability and develop a thriving team culture. Welcome to the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. Thanks so much for coming on the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. It's, it's an honor to have you on. It's my honor to be here. Thanks for the invitation. No worries. Yes, you're a TEDx speaker and founder of the world's biggest garage sale, having diverted over 3.3 million kilograms of goods from landfill. You're enhancing the circular economy movement by promoting decluttering, repurposing, and sustainability, as well as investing back into the local community. Before starting the world's biggest garage sale, you built a multi-million dollar sales team from the ground up. What was going through your mind before you made the leap of faith to move away from this lucrative corporate job into starting and growing the world's biggest garage sale? For me, it was really purpose-led. I listened to what I call the heart, which is my heart and my gut. (laughs) And sometimes when we let the head get in the way, we make decisions that are really logical and and maybe not as intuitive as they should be. But look, I really love the work I did in the corporate world. I was always surrounded by amazing mentors and had given or or been offered the opportunity to just really make the business our own. And and I always say our, that's just, I mean, nothing's ever my or, or I, but certainly our own. And, and the organization I worked for really taught me and birthed me to be an entrepreneur before I even knew what the word entrepreneur meant. And so the leap of faith towards being an entrepreneur felt really, you know, quite the transition was quite smooth in a way that, you know, as smooth as becoming an entrepreneur can be. I mean, I make it sound easy, don't I? But it's absolutely anything but. I don't think I've ever worked harder in my life since becoming an entrepreneur. But I feel like I had a really good foundation set up from the organizations that I have worked for and the leaders that I've worked under who just made me feel safe knowing that what's the worst thing that can happen? You fail and you pick yourself up and you learn some great lessons and you build something else from that as a a person personally and professionally. So for me, I felt that purpose from the heart really led the change for me. It was never ever a I'm going to make a lot of money and this is going to be awesome and I'm going to be able to retire to the Bahamas as an entrepreneur um, in a space where everyone's encouraged to build a unicorn. That was never, ever the motive behind it. And I leapt before even thinking about the financial side of things. I love how you were directed by your heart and your gut in making that move. A lot of people, I guess, try to think their way through things. And sometimes, often, it's more important to listen to what your heart and your gut's telling you. Have you ever had instances where your gut's been wrong? And how have you sort of recovered from it? Gosh, so many instances where my gut is wrong, but I feel like what it sends you is a signal that you might not get it right at that point in time, but you actually are on the right path. I feel like, you know, I'm quite logical and pragmatic, but I'm also quite emotive and heart-centered. So I'm told and I've learned to accept that I'm quite unusual in that. Like I can be really pragmatic and listen to my head, but I will always take some ingredients from the heart and gut. And I feel like there's this kind of nice little balance between it that I can shut the head down before it becomes too logical that actually halts me with fear to take the plunge. And so when I don't listen to that head and I end up leaping in and, you know, falling flat on my face, 
I still see it as a tremendous opportunity to learn. And I'm uniquely hyper positive, realistic, but very positive. I see the glass is always full. It might not always have the right liquid in it, but it's always full. And so for me, even when I fail and falter, it's actually kind of awesome because how do you grow if you don't actually fall on your face every now and then? That's it. Yeah, you've got, you've got to definitely fail sometimes, learn the lessons and move on. Sometimes the best lessons come from falling down. It gives yeah. you real-time feedback straight away. Are there any big lessons that you've, you've learned that you've sort of taken on board going forward? Yeah, fail fast and get back up as fast as you can and don't look back. I don't know if you've ever seen kids swim. My brother used to be a swimmer when he was little and I used to watch him in swimming carnivals and he was a breaststroker and he would breaststroke, breaststroke, look to the sides, look to the sides, breaststroke again. And every now and then just keep looking to the sides. But every time he turned his head, he'd slow down. And for me, every time you turn your head and look back and worry about what happened in the past, it didn't work out. You're actually slowing down the momentum to reach the future goal of where you're heading. So I'm a real slow and steady wins the race endurance style person in all that I do, whether it's work or play. And so for me, it's about not crying over spilt milk for too long, acknowledging the mistakes, taking the lessons, and then don't go back and get back in that place of failure and don't let the negative consequences of what happened actually stop the momentum of the future. So just look forward, fail fast, get back up and find the right people around you to help you keep walking. And even if it's just a tiny millimeter or two every day, take steps forward. Are there any practices that you use to assist in that fail fast sort of mentality? Oh, it's been probably many decades of failing. Lots of laughter, a few slaps in the face from friends who are close enough to be able to call you on your bullshit and hold you to task. A lot of humility, really be comfortable being authentic but vulnerable at the same time. Don't be ashamed of things that you screw up or mess up or break because I think that the more authenticity that we can show as people and the more raw and real we are, the more we actually flourish as people and as a society and as a community, the more connected we become. I really do love to lead with love and I used to be challenged by this as a female that's always been working in a male-dominated industry. I've never been kind of in a typical position where you know, I've, I've never been paid less than my male peers. I've always worked for organizations that are very fair in that side of things and, and fair because I call them on it. I'm like, hold on a minute. He's doing the same job as me and I'm getting paid less. We better fix that. I'm not afraid to call it. And so for me, I feel like we just have to lead with being authentic. And if that means sometimes showing a side of ourselves that we think that others might not like, that's actually when we should lean in the most and be the truest of true people to ourselves because you know, in the past when I tried to kind of be a man in a man's world, I was a real bitch of a manager. I was terrible actually. And these are some of the failures I learned from in the past. I was a great entrepreneur. I can build anything from nothing and I can fix the biggest of problems of all. But unless you can do it with a team around you that can be loyal, faithful, and actually become better than you and work you out of the job, I don't actually think anything can be scalable. And in the past, I was just trying to be one of the guys and and I probably put a lot of the emotive side of who I am aside because, you know, that soft girly stuff was probably not back 20 years ago as accepted and as integrated into a workplace. And it's not a negative thing. It's just what it was. In summary to your question, authenticity is probably the word. And it means some people might not like you and that's okay, but better for them to not like the truer version of you than some sort of fake version of you that you're trying to play just so you fit in with the crowd. I actually think you've got to wide blend in when you're born to stand out. So stand out, be authentic, and then 
whatever happens, happens, and you've just got to get up and keep moving forward. Yeah, I think authenticity is one of those lessons, at least for me, I've learned that working in a few workplaces, you know, putting up these walls and shields in front of people to try to, or in front of yourself, really, to protect yourself. But what it really ends up doing is just eating up inside. And it's only when you sort of step out to, you know, like you said, your words were, um, be a truer version of you. That really allows people to connect with you and, and it might repel people, but it'll probably repel the people you don't want to be connecting with anyway. Yes, I love that you say that, Aiden. It's like a filter in life, isn't it? Like it's a natural filter that keeps those that don't really like the type of person that you are out of your life. And, you know, when they say that you become the average of the top five people that you spend the most time with, you want that top five people to be the people that are your people, your tribe, not those that are connecting with you because of a masked version of who you are. And for me, it's a real unleash, right? When you can unleash and be the authentic person that you are, the joy in your life, personally and professionally, you feel is just intense and immense and the fear that stops us from doing so many things in life, so many things in life that people don't do because they're scared. Those top five people in your life need to be those who are helping you push through that fear. And one of my favourite quotes I remember teaching my children once is, comparison is the thief of joy. And so when you're trying to compare yourself with other people and be a version of them, then you're actually stealing joy from your own life and joy from those around you that actually need to see who you are so that they can be who they are. And I just feel like we need these little tribes and micro-tribes around us that help us live our truest of true selves, even though it's going to annoy some people. Yeah, that quote really uh, resonates with me because you know, these days with, I guess, you know, social media, comparisons all around you and it's, it's, you really have to make that conscious choice and decision not to do it and to sort of remind yourself that or be more sort of aware of when you are comparing yourself to others because it can really eat you up inside when you've got this pretend yardstick or yeah. pretend measure of where you should be at a certain point in time but it really it's, it's your own journey. I agree with you Holly and I've always been a little bit fearful and scared and if ever anyone says to me I don't really regret anything because I think where you are today is where you're meant to be and that's all the things along the way that you would do differently if you could. But I'm pretty full on person. It's my personality. People have been telling me for 25 years, I'm going to burn out, that you can't possibly work that intensely like I do. And But if I didn't work, I'd do something else intense because I'm an intense person. It's what I do. I get energy from intensity. But I also have this very zen-like time. I journal, I run, I zone out, I look after myself, I fill my cup and fuel my engine and I do it well. And then I come back in and I can be a steam train again and just keep going, going, going. And I used to tone myself down because I am so full on and I felt like people didn't like it. Like like it's quite confronting, if that makes sense. I remember listening to Gary Vaynerchuk the first time and he swears his head off, as you would know. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a big swearer. My husband and I never said the F word in front of our kids for like, I think, 10 years. I listened to Gary Vaynerchuk and I thought, why on earth was this person recommend for me to listen to this podcast? Now, this was a long time ago. And I was listening to Gary's F-bomb this, F-bomb that, blah, blah, blah. And once I got over the fact that I could not like the swearing, and then I thought, hold on a minute, I really like what he's saying. And what I liked about him and is, you know, some people think he's a dick and others think he's awesome and there's everyone in between. But what I can actually filter out when I listen to someone like Gary and you can replace his name with anyone else who's epically awesome and actually getting out there and executing and delivering but he's so authentic and do you know how awesome that feels to listen to somebody who is the most authentic version of themselves and he doesn't really give a flying fork about what other people think about him 
in a way that sometimes is very aggressive and pushes others away. But I think that's his personality and listening to people like him and balancing it with other really great leaders like Brene Brown who have a very different approach. I love to take the goodness from all of those people and help improve myself and take myself on a journey of being able to live an authentic life and show that to my children so I don't have to tell them what to do, but they see it lived in front of them. Yeah, I mean, you can talk about being authentic, but the best way to do it is, is to show it through your actions and demonstrate it to other people around you. And I think the more authentic you are, the more authentic you help others to be as well. Yeah, I feel like there's so much power in authenticity. I feel like there's not enough of it. One of the biggest things that I dislike in life is, you know, backstabbers, people that to your face, they're like, oh my God, I love you so much. You're awesome. And behind your back, they got the knife out and they're like, oh my God, can you possibly bear to be around that person anymore? You know, she's so intense and it's too much. Like say it to my face or don't even be in my life. You know, the energy and time that they're spending bitching about people, me, others, is actually stealing the joy away, away from their own life. And I wish we would do less of that and more of helping build each other up rather than pull each other down. Talking about building each other up, how do you build an authentic business or organization? With transparency. I was given some great advice really early on. And to, in that was to be transparent, which means to tell it how it is. And our business is hard. Let me tell you, it is difficult. When you're a non-tech female founder pitching a business that's all about really moving dormant assets around, which is sometimes the dirty stuff that no one wants to touch, and you do it and you can't teleport it, you can't write code for it, you actually have to physically move it, and then you give away a significant amount of your profits to charities. When you're trying to pitch your company, you look like an absolute fool to most investors and to most people in the market. You just don't fit a box. So for me, I feel like transparency is the key. This is the real deal. This is who we are. We can't build an algorithm that teleports products from one location to another. And we need to lick stamps, pack boxes and physically move stuff. That's the business we're in. And we can create significant impact for the climate. We can create significant impact for the community. And we can do so while being able to make some profit for purpose. And so for me, it's real transparency. Tell people how it is. This is who we are. We're not a not-for-profit, but we act transparently like one, which means we don't have a big corporate office and we don't hide all our numbers away. We're really very open, authentic and real about the fact that just like every other startup on their journey, we struggle to make profit in the early years. We're burning runway like every other startup and we need to raise capital like every other startup and it's really freaking hard like every other startup. But when we talk about it real and raw, people understand who we are and the right people are attracted to you and stick and the wrong people, they don't want to be around you because you don't make sense to them. So I feel like to build a purpose-led organization where you want to take people on the journey, you have to be so authentic and so transparent. Do you have some clear examples on how that's helped the world's biggest garage do what it's done? Absolutely. So I guess when it comes to transparency, we're really open and honest about the fact that when we're uplifting an event in region and we're collecting dormant goods and mobilizing assets, we are really open and honest about the fact that, I mean, we have an operational team who are our company and we work in partnership with charities to help mobilize donations. And we transparently talk about the charity, who the charity supports, what they're going to support, what are the stories and who are the people that we're actually making a difference to. 
And when you actually take the numbers away and you're not focusing on how much revenue you're going to turn over, how much money you're going to make, give me the numbers, money, money, money. And when you actually just talk about impact and connectedness and community, and it's not all fluffy McFluff, you know, we're not making money, but it's not all commercial capitalists, we're not doing good. It's this beautiful blend of both. And I feel like the more we tell the story about the blend, the more customers want to come on the journey, both from donors and shoppers and partners and investors. It probably took us a little while, but when we started to tell our story more openly and proactively, that's when we really started to be able to scale the operation and make a difference at the core and build a brand that people do really love and want to get involved in. So, you know, we just work really flexibly around that and take the signals from the community and let that be the foundation of how we build our business. We listen to our customers. We're really, at the end of the day, customer experience, or I call it customer intimacy. With our customers, you have nothing. And those customers are your internal staff and team, volunteers, partners, advocates, and your external, those that trade and purchase from you. So for me, It's about taking customer intimacy to a level where you connect and you make a difference. And when you make a difference, you'll always make money. That's it. When you put the community first and when you put your customers or clients or staff members first, your money is sort of a byproduct of that that interaction. But when you do it the other way, you often burn people out. People have this almost like a sixth sense of a bullshit detector, basically, knowing when things don't quite line up, you know, something's off. Yeah. And look, when you screw up, just say, hey, I screwed up. Didn't get that right. I'm so sorry. Our first ever garage sale we did as a company, we gave away every single dollar we generated. We did not even keep one dollar of revenue, which is a stupid decision, right? It's really stupid. Financially, a stupid decision. Impactfully, an amazing decision. So at the next garage sale we ran for the same charity, we can give away 100% of the revenue. So we gave away a smaller percentage, but collectively over the two events, when you combined the two revenues, we're still giving away more revenue than we're keeping as a company. So it's about being transparent around the fact that, oh, shit, if we give away our revenue every single time, we're actually not going to have a business, which means we can't have the impact, which means we can't create jobs, which means we can't save items from landfill, which means we don't exist. So it's almost like, okay, we're reviewing our model. We can't give it all away. We've got to keep some, but how much do we keep? Well, we don't know the answer but we're going to work with our charity partners, work with community. And it generally sits around the 50-50. You know, who gives a crap? And I'm looking at Christmas presents under my Christmas tree, which is secondhand, of course. But all the Christmas presents sitting under the Christmas tree at the moment are wrapped in who gives a crap toilet paper wrapping because it's awesome paper. And we've been wrapping birthday presents in it since we subscribed. But as an organisation, they're very transparent. They donate 50% of their profits to charity and they build toilets and create change in this world with their profits. For us, it's about, I think we're going to land about the same. We're going to end up being a 50-50 split. And I think it's a beautiful model when you can have a business that has impact like that. That's how you multiply success for all because you actually live the community and money is a byproduct. And you never really know where that impact is going to lead to either because you often have sort of a field of vision of the direct impact you have, but then you've got the second and third order impacts of that impact. That's where you get that cascading effect, which is phenomenal because you might impact someone in Australia, but through that interaction, you know, you can impact the world via that. So it's, it's so powerful. I agree with you. I love that you brought that up because the funny thing is we never measured. We just always just, we call it... GST, right? It's get 
stuff or in Queensland we say get shit done, but like you get stuff done. Like we are great at executing. If if you need something done and it's a project that we can do, then we will deliver that project for you. We are exceptional executors, right? But I think that what we've learned along the way is when we were executing, we weren't right in the beginning stages when we weren't even a company, we weren't actually measuring other than revenue. We were like, oh my God, we did 15 grand. Oh my God, we did 60. Oh my God, we did 90. But what happened is we started to measure the numbers and the climate impact and the sustainability side of things and the landfill. And we were an accidental startup. So we had product market fit. We had revenue. We never had a product. So we didn't understand our business at the time because we didn't even have a business. So for us, when we started to measure not only the impact of landfill that we were making, but then the donations we give to charity and what that money does for the charity as a cascading effect. And then the landfill diversion and the impact, positive impact that has on the council and how it might save the council regions money in their own budget because we're diverting waste proactively years before it's going to end up on the curb. Like these are the the cascading impacts that as an organisation we need to measure because they will forever return investment to us that allows us to scale. And when I say returns investment, I don't mean just money. I mean that impact and money. And I have this fantasy that one day in my Zero report, and I hope the founders of Zero or MyOB and other platforms out there that run operational accounting for businesses, I hope one day that profit and loss is not just a P&L, but it's a P&L and I, which is profit, loss and impact. And I want to see an impact number on the bottom of my balance sheet and the bottom of my P&L. I want to know my impact because as an organisation, I bet you the higher the impact, you will see a correlation the higher the profits. Oh, definitely, definitely. And there might be a lag measure. There might be a you yes. know, timing difference between the two. It's not, not directly correlated exactly. But over time, and if you do put your community first and your clients first mm-hmm. um, and your people first, then I'm of the belief at least that it will, yeah, it will turn into profit. I agree with you. It's a patient. Like we're very patient, capital focused. So those investors that want to invest in us, those that we seek and those that align the best, they are the patient capital. They know they might not make all the money up front and we might not be a billion-dollar unicorn. I love that Leanne Kemp, our chief entrepreneur in Queensland, talks about zebras. You know, they're not mythical creatures. They're real. And they a zebra is real and we should be trying to create more zebras in this world rather than billion-dollar unicorns because you got to take community with you on the journey. Otherwise, we just make the richer rich and the poorer poor and we're not closing the gap between the two. Our company actually closes the gap. We've seen it happen and it's the most amazing experience you could ever feel and see. How we measure that, that's a problem we have to solve. But let me tell you, come and spend a day in our company when the garage sale's on or when we're running a pop-up or when we're having true customer interactions and intimacy. And you will be addicted to the energizing feel that you get when a customer has truly been moved by the authentic way that we do business. That's powerful stuff. How can others get involved in the circular economy? Come and spend a day with us and get a good feel for what it is like to do the doing. I think that the best advice around anything like this, like our company, we're market makers, right? We create new markets. We have to bore through the the dirt, create the tunnel, you know, be that initial tunnel boring machine to create this space so we can build markets around it. 
the way to get involved is to just do something. You know, you wrapping your Christmas presents in who gives a crap toilet paper packaging. Are you not buying products for the sake of purchasing a product? Are you thinking about where it came from? Are you supporting a local small business who's making their products from items that would have otherwise be turned into waste? Are you making purchases that actually have positive impact for the circular economy? I always say I'm not an activist. I'm an activator. I don't protest. I produce. And by that, I mean just do something small that can make a difference and it can be something authentic to you. There'll be people like me that give you this advice, but my advice is not going to be right for everybody. But look around your home, look around your business. And for us, if if I was to be opportunistic about it, I would say, get in touch with me. If you're like every average Australian and you have somewhere between three to $5,000 worth of stuff sitting around your house that you haven't touched in years, that you're not donating and you're not selling, donate it to us. We'll organize the capacity. We have the capability to organize the mobilization of these items. And then we'll give you transparency on the impact that they had, whether it was through monetization that allowed us to donate to charity or whether it was through allowing us to ensure that that product ended up in a stream where it was going to be valued more than it's being valued right now under your lounge or in your garage, not used in gathering dust. So that's how you can get involved. Like if if it's to be opportunistic for me as an organisation leader, talk to us about the stuff you've got laying around your house. But beyond that, buy secondhand uniforms for your kids. Shop online and purchase secondhand books. Look at the way you buy things, look at the way you produce things yourself and just make really small incremental changes because 7 billion people in the population, something like that, please don't quote me on that number, but if each of us just picked up one piece of rubbish on the floor today while we're out walking, then there'd be 7 billion pieces of rubbish less on the floor flowing into our oceans. But you can't rely on those of us that are really passionate about this to make change. It has to be everybody doing tiny things together. So do something tiny and then tell us about it. We'd love to hear about it and get involved and support you. I love how you mentioned the power of incremental change. Sometimes it's not about making big sweeping changes. It's about making small daily changes that yeah. stack up over time. You know, that's a hard thing for us when we want things instantly. And that's really like, that's how it is, right? We want things instantly. And so I feel like even as we're heading into new year and and people start thinking about the year gone by and the year ahead and, you know, a big percentage of people start to set resolutions and feel that January 1 is the time they have to kind of reset. I remember last year I said to myself I would do 2019 kilometres, as in I would run, and I'm not a runner, but I enjoy exercising, but I said I would run 2019 kilometers in 2019. And I thought it was a bit of a quirky name. I thought it was a big goal. I'd run every day in years gone by. For one year, I ran every day of the year and I did about a thousand Ks in the year. And I thought, well, why not up the ante and do on average five and a half Ks a day every day for 365 days? I had two rules with my little goal. It's a big goal, right? Let's not pretend. The big goal. I had two rules. Run every single day, regardless of the distance and speed. And over the year, accumulate 2019 kilometres. Now, it sounds huge, right? And I'm really impatient, like everyone. And I wanted to just crack on and get that done really quickly. But what would have happened is I probably would have burnt out really fast if I was just out every day pushing the pavement, trying to crack on and get those Ks done. When I set a pace that was endurance, speed, sensible, 
5Ks. And I had this little thing, 5Ks at 5am every day. That was my thing. And I'm like sitting at somewhere around 1,950 odd kilometres now. And so I'll hit the goal by the end of the year. What it's made me reflect on, Aiden, is that we need to be patient. We need to just be consistent. And I always say I'm a real average person. Like I'm pretty average. I can do most things and do it reasonably well and have a bit of fun along the way, but I am not exceptional at anything. However, I am actually exceptional at being consistent. And consistency is actually the difference between us all achieving what we want and what we believe in life. 8% of us achieve our news resolutions. That's a really bad percentage. And it makes me sad. And it makes me want to change that. And it makes me want to help people see that it's not that hard. It's just get up every day, do what you said you were going to do, execute, find a tribe of people to help you. I've recruited other people to run with me because I knew I, I would find it hard some mornings and having company held me accountable and measuring it held me accountable and talking about it held me accountable. And I would just put all these measures in place to help me be set up for success. Now, I could have broken my leg along the way. I could have got sick. All these things could have happened. I guess the moral of my story is when we're patient and consistent, we can achieve things that sound impossible at the outset. And they're really possible because we slow down so that we can speed up. Yes, you you, you open up that uh, the space to think more deeply about things and not rush from place to place to place. I know. Have you ever been around, like, especially at the moment in the city or in shopping centres, and people are literally running around from space to space. They're also looking on their phones at the same time, trying to eat while they're walking and, you know, take a phone call at the same time. Like That's how we are. Like we scroll social media while we're on the phone, trying to type a letter and execute on something else. We're all trying to do too much to achieve more. I actually think the key is to do less to achieve more. Yeah, exactly. Do less, but do more of the more important things. Yeah, filter it out in our own lives, but that's hard. It means we have to let some things go that we might think we actually don't need. They're holding us back or holding us down. Were there any things that you've had to learn to let go of? Oh, my God, yes. You know, the biggest lesson in my life has been taught by my children. Mm. (laughs) When I said before I was a bitch of a manager, I really was terrible and I didn't mean to be because I didn't inside. I'm like so nice. I'm such a nice person and I'm so, so comfortable saying that. I'm a very, very nice person, right? But I'm very fierce as well, like so driven. And sometimes, you know, I might have broken people along the way in my early career. When I had children, (laughs) it's like, oh, my God, I don't want to break my children. And I have two really complete opposite children and one is very anxious and introverted and the other is incredibly emotionally intelligent and not like super extroverted but very like super liked, right? And one is not so liked. And I've had to learn that. And what they've taught me is that as a leader, you cannot have a set of rules for your team that everybody abides by and can deliver at exceptional levels on. Because my children taught me in a really small space that your team all have different needs, wants and desires and triggers of action and triggers of inaction. So when you connect with people to learn who they are, it actually helps you be a better leader. So I had to let go of the desire and the 
ideal that you could just have one set of rules and everyone would execute on it because that's what you're supposed to do in life and it's really easy, right? Here's what you're supposed to do. Now go do it. And it just doesn't work. You've got to connect with the human. You've got to connect with the people. You've got to lead with love, find out, tap into their soul and then create a relationship. And then everyone gets the most out of it. So for me, it was, again, going into the center of my soul and learning about what people's love languages are, learning about what people are motivated by in life, and then being able to make slight adjustments and tweaks to the type of relationship that I have with the people in my team, both in my family and in my work family. And that's how you get the most out of people, not because you want to make money, but because, again, you want to make a difference. And I want to change people's lives. I actually, like my motivation in life is I want to make make it possible for people to see the power they have to be everything that they ever dreamed of. And the way to do that is to be authentic and to show people that it's safe for them to be authentic as well. And that might mean that they never work with you because they find their true self and they leave your company. But isn't that awesome that they found their true self and moved on to what it is that they really want to do in life? It is because otherwise the alternative is them not ever knowing or not ever feeling comfortable to leave and then them sort of not being fully fulfilled in what they do and then, you know, live not a life of misery, it's too strong of a word, but live a life of, say, missed opportunity and missed potential in what they do. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I've experienced over the last couple of years in particular quite a number of deaths in family and it was quite tragic. I lost my mom and my husband lost his dad two days later and it was very unexpected and really jolted our family. And what it taught me, and I've always thought this at funerals and I don't know if anyone else feels this. And again, I'm really authentic. So I kind of say what I think, whether it's right or wrong. But every time we go to a funeral and even when we go to weddings, I think we all pause for a moment at those beautiful events, celebration of life, celebration of love, celebration of something. And we think and we reflect and we might in our inner core have a moment of, wow, you know, what am I doing? What have I done? Am I happy? Have I done all the things that I said I wanted to do in life? And when my mum died, she was only 61, so super, super young. And it was super recent, just last year. And my mum always taught me to be my true self. And I think the loss of her, it made me realise even more so that I have to take my true self next level. And I always had this inspiration from her to be better. Like that was her words. Yes, I want you guys to have a better life. I want you to not make the mistakes I made. And I want this for you. I need this for you. And it was like her whole life existed around making our lives better than her life. Um, you know, my dad beat her up. She had three kids under three when she was 21 years old. It was horrible for her, but great for us to have someone like her. And so I think that it comes at these moments in time in life that we reflect. But I really feel like at those times of reflection, the key ingredient that is often missing is for us to then go take action from that reflection. Going back to our lives three days after the wedding, the funeral, the celebration or whatever it was, and doing exactly what you've always done to get what you've always got. Like that's that mediocrity that I think we all don't need to live in that cycle. We can live in our own cycle of exceptional and that is different for everybody, but I believe everyone has the capacity to be in a cycle of exceptional. And for me, I want to help people find that cycle within themselves and so that they can go and live their exceptional and not, you know, lay down one day and go, gosh, I wish I did this and gosh, I wish I did that. And I had this amazing idea 20 years ago and I never implemented it. And then I watched someone else do it. And then I'm even more miserable because I didn't do the action myself. Like, how do we help people? We've got to build tribes. 
And then we've got to support them through the highs and the lows so that we can live a life of no regret. And those moments of reflection, we can say, damn, I live my best life. I don't always get it right, but I really love the life that I'm living rather than, oh, shit, I'm 44 at my next birthday and I haven't done half the things I said I wanted to do. It's really beautiful for you to share that that's what you want to give other people. It's truly powerful. I'm going to get this wrong, but it's along the lines of the definition of hell is when you get to the end of your life and meet the person you could have become. Oh, my God. It makes me want to cry. That is the most I've heard it before. I I don't know who said it, but I literally just got goosebumps when you said that because you are so right, 100% right. It is. And I think it's important to not only reflect in the big life-changing events, but also reflect, like you do it, um, but I invite people who are listening to this uh, this podcast as well to, to you know, at least try and reflect on a, on a daily or at least a weekly basis because it does give you powerful insights into what you should be doing, what you should maybe not be doing going forward because you don't want to have this big life event and wait for these really big sort of life-altering events to then reflect. Going back to when we were talking about being consistent, Sometimes it's it's more powerful to reflect consistently and then you can start making those incremental changes going forward. Yeah, and it's hard. I won't lie to you. Consistency isn't, you know, doesn't always come naturally. Sometimes you've got to really dig deep to be consistent. What I'm reflecting on is showreel of life, like the Instagram feed, the Snapchat, the whatever channel you decide to be on and that you love to be on and that shows your wonderful curated life. I feel like, Again, something we can all do better is to share the authentic challenges that we go through. Like losing my mom, I speak about it openly. Losing my my husband's father, I speak about authentically. I have a daughter on the spectrum and she's really challenging and she doesn't even live at home. She goes to boarding school by choice away from our home from Monday to Friday. I share it authentically. And my husband has gone through a significant um health challenge over the last 18 months in particular he's been battling really depressive mental health challenges how's that how do you how do you launch a business run a company when your co-founder's so sick he can't work and going through some really major life challenges in his own state and the priority in our family is looking after him staying married keeping our family together all while we're trying to build a startup that's not sitting in a typical tech platform startup. You know, there's a lot of shit that we're dealing with and it's the real stuff. It's the life stuff and it's not the pretty things you might see or that you might think you want to see. And I talk about it openly about the fact that my husband's, you know, not able to work at the moment and going through some challenges, but he's coming through and he's pushing through and it's because for better, for worse, that's the life we live. And that means that when it's the worst and whether it's a marriage or another something in your life that's going through or worse, running away from it or denying it or not facing it is actually worse for everybody. And for me, one thing we agreed on is the number one priority is family first. And if that means folding our business tomorrow because our family couldn't cope with the pressure, then we would do that. And we've always had that opt-out option. But that's not an option for us. It's not what we want. But family first family and health first, and then second to that, giving each other the space and time to authentically own the challenges of life and not run away from them. And that's what's made my husband start to really, you know, come out of the darkness and be on a 
trajectory where just like a hockey stick on a pitch deck of a startup, you have a flat line for a long time and then it starts to get the curve, the, the awesome hockey stick shaped curve at the end. That's the same journey that we've had to take over the last 18 months in our family. And it's been freaking hard. It is not easy. So for everyone out there that looks at me and I get it often, oh my God, you're so awesome. Your business is fantastic. You're doing so well. Uh, Your brand is everywhere. You must be so proud. I equally say, you know what, for everything good that you see out there, there's lots of stuff you don't see that I'm really comfortable talking about. So please come and talk to me about your challenges because I'm happy to share my challenges with people as well. Because I think it's in the sharing of those moments, those darkest moments, that that's when we find the light. That's it. In those dark moments, it's not completely dark. There is always light in in the darkest place. Absolutely. 100% always light. Whatever the worst, you know, version of whatever you're going through is, there's always a way out of it. Yeah, I agree. And the fear of not telling people because of shame, ego, embarrassment, whatever, judgment. Just push through the fear, find your tribe, the tribal stick, and they're the people that are going to help you through it. And I've had many people over the last 12 months who have truly been transformational in my life. And I believe that those people have come into my life because I've lived most authentically and shared most transparently the good, the bad, and the ugly of what life is like as a founder And as a founder running a business where their co-founder has been sick and unable to work, but we've pulled through, pushed through, got a lot of grit and got a lot of grunt. And in the process, we've found a lot of love and connectedness and relationships and authenticity. And isn't it funny how it all comes back to connectedness? It is. We're a connected world. And I think the more that we can connect with others, share you know, more of our authentic selves and our authentic journeys. It can seem confronting when you do share it. Can can be difficult to put yourself out there because, you know, you, you sort of like, well, fear of judgment or whatever it seems to be. But you really then just open up. You open up the world for other people to, to then show more of their authentic self. And it sort of just builds, like we were talking before about, you know, the second and third order impacts. You know, you've sort of got second and order, order authenticity cycles in a sense. And sort of just cascades down. So it's so, so powerful. Really do appreciate you being so authentic on this podcast and sharing oh. your journey, the struggles that you're currently going through as well, not just the ones you've been through, but the ones you're, um, you're sort of working through at the moment. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's the reality. I spoke at an event recently about failure and it's funny, you know, talking about failure. We've got a capital raise open at the moment. You know, that's an, always a very interesting situation to be in as a founder. And someone said to me, what if you don't raise your capital? Do we feel like a failure? I'm like, well... If we don't raise our capital, we can't scale our business and we have to shut it down. I mean, that's like any startup. And they're like, oh, my God, what will you do? And I said, well, man, what a journey. I'll be really proud of what we've achieved in two years, bootstrapping, you know, working for the economy, saving landfill, driving new dialogue around circular economy principles, executing And if we don't quite get a business model right and we're not able to raise our capital, then you know what? We do something else. We go on to create change in other places. We continue to go on the trajectory of impact because impact is really, for us, where the the most money and difference can be made. But it's about not being scared of that because, you know, we might not get it right. Who knows? 
I mean, I think we will. I feel we will. I feel that we're we're just about to have some breakthrough moments in our business. And but I've still just as easily in a month from now could be saying, "Oh shit, we're going to run out of money. What are we going to do? How are we going to survive? This is hard, and it's really hard." But I think we've got to share the hard more because people are always just sharing the good stuff, and it's making those who are going through their own mental battles feel so isolated like they're failures and my husband's really authentic and open with me about it and he lets me speak openly about it because it's his story not mine to tell but I've watched him feel alone like being in the state he's in is a failure but when I talk to people about it and these people tell me their stories of their wife their husband their best friend their father their mother their sister there's someone who has been through the same thing it gives my husband some peace that he's not alone. And I think we need more of that. Yeah, we do. To counteract the overly, I guess, positive mm. lifestyle of sort of what it is to be a business owner, you, you sort of need that, that the real version of it as well, what you don't see behind the scenes. Yes, I know. And I'm recording and I'll I, remind me to do something with it, you know, in a month or two from now. But I've been, I record little reflections on my camera around just business and capital raising especially because, you know, if every founder gets to what they achieve, hope to achieve, which is they raise their seed round of capital and it might be half a million, a million, it doesn't, the number is irrelevant, right? And then it gets on the front page of this or that and it gets published and everyone says, oh, my gosh, they're so good, they raised a million dollars, yay for them. What I want to make sure I capture along the way is actually how hard it was So I'm doing all these little reflections of video to record the high highs and the low lows of raising capital and due diligence and talking to investors and wanting to bash your head against the wall because people just don't get it and being really excited because people do get it. And I've been trying to capture it really authentically so that, you know, when we get to the point where we've got our front page, yay story, I am not so blind to the pain the challenges, the blood, sweat and tears that it took to get to that and that I can help use that information to help other founders avoid, shorten or learn from the mistakes I make along the way. I want to be authentic about how freaking hard it is, whether we raise or don't raise. I want to make sure that we've captured that story. That'd be awesome. You should definitely share it. Yeah, yeah, I definitely will. I'm so focused on our raise right now. It's Mm. It's not possible for me to look at sharing it, but I will actually before the end of the year do something quite authentic and, you know, as a bit of a summary for the year gone by and I'll make sure that, you know, I'm quite honest in in that side of things about, you know, it's tough because I've heard other founders who have raised $20 plus million talk about how tough it is, but not a lot of people talk about how tough it is while they're in it. They wait until the 10, 20, 50, 100 million dollars and go, oh my God, I'm a billion dollar unicorn. Oh, and it was so hard in the early days. No one believes that. They need to see it when it's hard so that they can find the power within themselves to know that we're all equal and we all have these capabilities and we can all do this. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Other people can see, can sort of match their journey to your journey and go, oh, well, if you know, if you've done it, then other people can do it too. Yeah, yeah, and not just share the journey when you're already a success at the top of the mountain, but, you know, talk about it as you're climbing it. Yeah, yeah, tell people what you see and what challenges you've been on. Yeah, and if that helps them find some shortcuts to get to the mountain top faster than you did, that is exceptional. That is what we need more of. 
Exactly. If, if people can learn from, you know, our mistakes and going forward, then all the better for it because there's so much opportunity in this world to be taken and the more sort of opportunity you create, the more impact you have on others, you really just make this world a, a much better place to be in. Oh, don't you? You really do. We are literally tapping into such a small percentage of what we're all capable of. Imagine if we put our egos to the side and crush the silos of life that the invisible silos that segregate people and actually started to work more collectively and collaboratively together, we would all achieve so much more. And we've seen small pockets of that when we focus on collaboration and it's just so exceptional and motivating that it just makes me want to do more. Amazing. Yes, and where can people find more about you and uh, the world's biggest garage? So. Definitely on our website and certainly on all of our social channels. We're really active online. We love to tell our story. You know, we, we respond to our own things. We don't have bots doing the work for us at this stage. We, we really love the human side of it. So, you know, I'm an open book. I reach out to me on LinkedIn, but look, let, can I give just a tiny bit of advice? If someone's going to reach out to anyone on LinkedIn, right? This is a professional network. Connect and tell us why. Like, hey, Yaz, I saw you at an event. I really want to connect. Hey, Yaz, I heard you on a podcast. I really want to connect. Hey, Yaz, I spoke to Peter Smith yesterday and he mentioned I should reach out to you because, hey, I really love the work that you do. Or, hey, Yaz, I've got this great product I think you'd be interested in and this is where I heard about your company. Can we connect? Please don't just ever press the connect button without telling someone why you want to connect with them. Be authentic. Tell your story. This is the perfect opportunity to create the first stage of a true connected relationship with someone. If you're just connecting for a metric to get to 5,000, 10,000, whatever thousand followers, that's just like, that's not authentic. Don't do that. I've had people who do that to me and it, it re- you really just come off as inauthentic. People can read straight through it going, okay, well, the only reason you've connected, if all you've done is, is press a button and not send a personalized message with it, and it doesn't take that long to send a personalized message, five minutes max, but it just shows that you've thought about it and that there's more to it than just reaching a number. I agree with you so much there. And even yesterday I found out I wasn't connected to like a guy I like we totally I have we know each other well. I didn't realize we weren't connected on LinkedIn. I was trying to introduce him to someone else. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not connected with him on LinkedIn. That's pretty ridiculous. And rather than just press connect, which I could have done because we know each other really well, I sent a message that said, Hey mate, how bad are we? I can't believe we're not connected on LinkedIn. My bad. You know, let's connect. But I still sent a message because it's authentic and human. We need more of that in this world. What a great way to end it. Yasmin, well, thanks again for coming, sharing your journey, sharing your authenticity, being, you know, being strong, being humble and sharing how others can make a bigger impact in their world. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Stories Behind the Grind. Please share the podcast. And if you're not already subscribed, be sure to do that right now. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you could do me a quick favor and rate and review the podcast. This lets the platform know that I'm doing something right and people like the content. It'd be a huge help and I'd be really, really grateful if you could. Until next time.